At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Good morning, Woodside Bible Church, and Merry Christmas. So as Lorino said, my name is Andy Wisman. I have the joy and privilege of being able to serve here as one of the elders at Woodside Bible Church, specific to the Chesterfield campus. Uh, our interim campus pastor, Vince Messina, he sends his greeting and love to you all today. Uh, he was originally scheduled to preach today, uh, but yesterday morning, with about 24 hours to spare before this service was to start, he called me and uh, told me that uh, members of his family had been exposed. And, and a couple of them are starting to not feel well. So um, again, he's staying home and he's, he's just resting out of an abundance of caution. So let's just be in prayer for the Messina family and uh, just also everyone else who is uh, dealing with it these days. And uh, it's, it's just difficult and yet here we are. And when I got the call, I thought he was actually joking at first. I actually started looking around, I'm like, okay, is this like the office where there's a camera waiting to look for my reaction? Is this punked? Is Ashton Kutcher just gonna like jump out and say you've been punked? But here we are, it was not a test. And all joking aside, I'm actually grateful to be entrusted by Vince uh, with handling the God of Word today. It's not something to be taken lightly. I don't take it lightly. Um, and even though I haven't had as much time to prepare as I would have hoped, uh, I'm reassured by two things. The first thing is, is that regardless of how I do up here, the Word of God alone is sufficient for today. And I take comfort in that. Because it's not about me, it's about God's Word, and it's about glorifying Him. And then the second thing is that I will preach Christ and Him crucified. Nothing else is worth preaching, and so that's what we are going to hear today. So this past week, we concluded the season of Advent. Historically, Advent is the beginning of the church calendar and is celebrated on the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Maybe you, uh, you uh, grew up with Advent in your household, and you know this, but for those who don't, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And the word Advent is actually, it comes from a Latin word that means coming or arriving. And historically, the church had focused on the two great arrivals of Jesus in the season of Advent. In his first arrival that we celebrated yesterday and two days ago, Jesus came as a human being, born of a virgin, to be the savior of the world through his life, death, and resurrection. In his second arrival, he, uh, he will come again in the future to judge the world and establish his kingdom forever, ushering in God's new creation. And let me tell you, I can't wait for that. The Advent season also reminds us that God's people often find themselves in seasons of waiting. I'm sure all of us have been in seasons of waiting or are in one now. As Israel waited for the first arrival of the Messiah, so we now, as the church, wait for his final return in power and glory. So I wanted to ask you a quick question. Who here likes to wait? Anyone? No? Okay. That's exactly what I expected. No one here likes to wait. Our culture is one of immediate gratification. 
I call it the Amazon syndrome, where it used to be two-day prime, and now it's, hey, there's an Amazon locker two miles from your location. Go and pick it up today. That is what our culture has foisted upon us, and it has bled into every aspect of our lives. Think about this. How about when someone's driving slow in front of you? How does it make you feel? It's okay to be honest. How about when your phone won't load something fast enough? When you hit, I see a hand, yeah. When the phone won't load information fast enough, or if a game won't load fast enough, or you're trying to find directions and it's not giving it to you fast enough, you just missed your turn. When you're a kid waiting for that snow day to be called for school, come on, come on, come on, come on, call it, call it, and you just see the scrolling on the screen, and then you go, yes, there it is, finally. And every once in a while you're disappointed because no, it's not there. How about when someone won't return your call or your text that you just sent or called them like yesterday? You should have called me back before I called you. What, am, what are we waiting for? I was so impatient that when my wife and I were raising our children, I gave them directions in, in German because life is short and it's just more fun to make it terrifying by saying things in German. <laughs> a couple of examples that I would say to them would be, fünf Minuten, which translated as five minutes. So be ready, we're leaving in five minutes. Another example would be, mach schnell, geht's los, which means hurry up, let's go. Inevitably, it wouldn't change anything with how late we were, but still, it was fun to do it. And even then, I still had this impatience about me because I just had to be there, had to be where I was going. We think that waiting is the absolute worst, yet we have no idea what it actually means to wait in this day and age. The last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, finished his ministry around 420 BC. The people of God heard nothing from him until John the Baptist arrived in the early first century AD. That's over 400 years of waiting for God's people. All of us know that there are times we find ourselves waiting on God, waiting for an answer to prayer, waiting to see where God might lead us next, waiting for a breakthrough in some area of our lives, or even waiting for someone to be healed. In my personal life, God has required me to wait a lot. I've waited for a loved one to come to know Jesus Christ. Still I am. I've waited to reconcile a broken relationship. I lost a job two weeks before closing on my house, not knowing what to do financially. I lost another job after refusing to be unethical, waiting for justice to be served because that's not fair. I did the right thing by refusing to do the wrong thing, and yet I find myself without a job. And yet I was in waiting, not only for another job, but hoping for justice at the same time. Last year when I had COVID, I waited having some very difficult conversations as the days just continued to prolong, um, just asking God, wondering when or if I would be healed and to what extent I might be healed. Praise God that I'm, that I'm here today. I've waited and prayed for people to be healed, and sometimes they were healed and they remain here on this earth, and other times they were healed by being taken home to be with the Lord. Waiting is tough. So throughout this Christmas season, we have been looking at a number of eyewitnesses around the birth of Christ. 
Today, we want to look at our last set of witnesses, two people who are often overlooked in the Christmas story, but have a lot to teach us about engaging a season of waiting well. Their names are Simeon and Anna, and their story is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And what we'll find today is that waiting with faith enables us to receive God's promise. And what this means is that we must first wait with devotion, second, wait for God's timing, and then third, wait in God's spirit. So let's look at the first few verses of their stories together. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now skip with me to Luke uh, 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So what we see from the text is that Jesus' parents bring him up to the temple in accordance with the Old Testament law. And as they enter the temple, Luke introduces us to Simeon and Anna, two key witnesses who respond to the arrival of Jesus. They are both portrayed here as people waiting for years for God to act on his promises to his people. They're unique in this moment because although they have been, uh, there would have been hundreds, even thousands of people at the temple that day, these two are the ones who realize that the Messiah had come and had arrived. They're unique, both for how they bear witness to uh, who Jesus is and as models for all who would receive the arrival of God's promised anointed one. When we see what Simeon and Anna and what we see and can learn from them today is that waiting in faith enables us to receive God's promise. And the first way Simeon and Anna show us how is to wait with devotion. Wait with devotion. <clears throat> Verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then verse 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then not as a widow, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. As we were introduced to both Simeon and Anna, one of the first things we notice about them is that they are devoted to God's ways and God's word. The text says of Simeon that he was righteous and devout. Simeon was committed to living in accordance with the way God had created us as human beings, how we were called to live. He sought to live rightly before God. 
And while righteousness is the action, devotion was the heart and faith behind that action. Not just doing, but being righteous. We also see that Simeon is not only devoted to God's ways, but also God's word. As the text highlights that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon knew the promises of God, and he was actively waiting in anticipation of those promises. The Greek word for consolation in this passage can also be translated as comfort. How many of you today are waiting for comfort, to be comforted? We also see the same idea of devotion in Anna as well. She was a widow for a long time, even after losing her husband seven years into her marriage. And I can't even imagine how painful that was. She remained devoted to God. The text says that she was devoted to worship, fasting, and prayer in those many years after becoming a widow. And Simeon and Anna were in long seasons of waiting, seeking for when God would move. But what we see in those seasons is that they were devoted to living in God's ways and trusting in God's word. And in this, they challenge us to embrace waiting with devotion in our own seasons of waiting. It can be hard when we're in a season of waiting. I mean, does anyone raise their hand if, to disagree? Okay. Just wanted to check and make sure. I mean, things like praying for that loved one who doesn't know Jesus yet, praying for, for our financial situation to turn around, praying for someone who we love that is ill. Waiting tests our faith. And if we're not careful, seasons of waiting can often lead to becoming lax and making excuses for our lack of devotion, trying to take matters into our own hands, or worse, becoming angry and bitter. We talked two days ago about Herod and his response to uh, the coming of the Messiah. His response was anger. And that's a dangerous game to play. Too often, if we're not careful, we can fall into these traps in our walk with God. We can enter into seasons of waiting and then just let ourselves go, ceasing to walk in righteousness or cultivate our devotion to God. We can tend to think, once this thing comes, once that prayer is answered, once that relationship I want happens, once I get that new job, when the church gets its new campus pastor and worship director, when we get that new building, when the pandemic ends, when I clean up my life, then... Whatever it might be, then I'll start to take my devotion seriously. It's an easy trap to fall into. But we can't do that. But Scripture encourages, encourages us instead to embrace a season of waiting with devotion to the Word of God and the ways of God. The Apostle Peter reminds us of this as well when he writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, where it says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We're supposed to be ready. And even as we see Simeon and Anna wait in devotion, we also see them wait in faith in another way. The second way that they show us how to wait is to wait for God's timing. And I have to admit, this, was, this one is a big one for me. I'm a type A personality. I like to take matters into my own hands. I like, I'm, I like to get them. Let's go. Let's go. I have a plan. Let's do this. And oftentimes I've found that doing that has actually made things worse. Trying to be proactive has actually had the opposite effect 
of what I wanted and intended. We see in verse 26 of Luke 2, and it had been revealed to him, being Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And in verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she, being Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Simeon and Anna were willing to wait for God's timing. You have to remember at this point that Israel had been waiting over 400 years for God to move among his people again. They hadn't heard anything since Malachi. And not only that, Simeon and Anna had been waiting in devotion to God for a long time and had heard from their parents, their grandparents, and if they had great-grandparents that were alive at that time, they had heard of their waiting too. Again, over 400 years. It's a long time. Both were advanced in years, both had been daily coming to the temple to see the fulfillment of God's promises. So with their age, that's a lot of days that they had been going to the temple waiting for that day to come. To Simeon, God had promised that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Messiah. But can you imagine the challenge of every single day going to the temple, waiting to see when the promise would be fulfilled, and wondering, is this the day? And then when it didn't happen, wondering, is tomorrow going to be the day? or the day after that, and continuing on and on. Anna likewise highlights how she was ready at that very hour to receive the promised one as he arrived at the temple. Her devotion and faith allowed her to be right where she needed to be to receive the uh, arrival of the Messiah. So waiting for God's timing means cultivating a life of patience. Sorry, but it's true. Patience is not something that many of us are good at, it's a, but it's a crucial fruit and a practice of a heart of faith. James remind us, reminds us of this when he writes in James chapter 5, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So again, like Peter, James points us toward the future fulfillment of God's promises. But in that, he calls us to practice patience as we wait. Patience is a way in which we engage a season of waiting with hearts of faith to receive the fruit of God's promises. And to illustrate this, James uses the analogy of a farmer waiting for his crop of fruit to come. There's a process and time to grow something. We know almost nothing of that because we just go to the grocery store. There might be some farmers in here, I don't know. If you you are a farmer or come from a farming family, you know the process and the time it takes and the the back sweat that, that is involved, the tears, the blood that is involved with making this fruit. Like fruit is produced from a crop through patience, so the fruit of God's kingdom is ultimately produced through patience in our lives as well. Along with James, Simeon, and Anna encourage us to be patient and wait for God's timing. And that can be very difficult. So whatever season of waiting you find yourself in, let me encourage you, do not try to move ahead of God. I've tried. It's not a good idea. It's not. Don't be hasty or impatient. Instead, practice patience as you wait for God to fulfill his promises. So what are you waiting for? Take a moment and think about it. Just in your mind, at least one thing. 
What are you waiting for? You know, some people say that waiting and patience, they're four-letter words. But what does God's word say about that, right? We, we, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, what does Scripture say about that in light of what our culture says? Scripture is supposed to inform our feelings, not our feelings informing Scripture. And so in looking at that, we can find in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Biblically speaking, patience means to endure with self-restraint, not giving in to difficulty or hardship. Faith and endurance are inseparable for us in our faith. Faith and endurance are inseparable for us. Paul also writing in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like I said, faith and endurance are inseparable. However, even as Simeon and Anna waited with devotion and waited patiently for God's timing, there was still another crucial element to their waiting that Paul just mentioned in Romans 5.5, 5, which is the third point. Wait in God's spirit. Wait in God's spirit. <clears throat> Luke 2, verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up on his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for the eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So we see here in verse 27 the culmination of a theme that Luke is highlighting throughout the witness of Simeon, the role of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in the introduction to Simeon. We see that he comes to the temple that day, and Luke highlights how he comes in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him, the Holy Spirit has spoken to him, and the Spirit of God marks his life. The Spirit is the key to Simeon's waiting, and it is through the Spirit that Simeon recognizes what no one else other than Anna recognized that day their Messiah had come. In seeing this child, Jesus, Simeon, recognizes that he has seen God's salvation and the fulfillment of God's promises. And this promised salvation is not just for Jews, but is, in fact, for people of every nation, tribe, people, and tongue that will receive it through repentance and believing Jesus to be the Christ. One of the things that Simeon's witness reminds us of is that the Holy Spirit who reveals and enables us to receive Jesus as our Savior. So again, I ask you, church, what are you waiting for? Just take another moment to dwell on that.
The Holy Spirit is at work here, revealing God's promised one to Simeon in God's timing. And Simeon responds by recognizing the salvation that has come in Christ Jesus. What Simeon recognizes, Luke will go on to show in much greater fullness in his gospel. And as the story continues, we see that Jesus is God's promised Messiah who comes to save us from our sins by dying in our place on the cross. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, the Spirit continues to reveal that Jesus is, in fact, the true Savior of the world. The good news is, is that all we must do to receive salvation in Jesus is found in Romans 10, 9 through 13. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God. Praise God for that good news. And if you've not done, yet, done that yet today, I want to invite you to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and be saved. As Simeon and Anna waited for the first coming of Christ on this side of the cross, we're waiting for Jesus' second advent and his coming in power and glory. Jesus reminds us of this at the beginning of Acts when his disciples asked if it was then that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus responded in Acts 1 verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we see Jesus reminding his disciples that there will be a season of waiting until the promises of God are fulfilled. But in his very next breath, he reminds them that God is going to give his spirit to empower them to be witnesses in that season. And as believers, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that empowers us. If you're in a season of waiting, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to walk in the spirit. Listen to the spirit. Be filled with the spirit and let him empower you to walk faithfully as you await the fulfillment of God's promises. You may be asking, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? We tend to kind of get lost in Christianese phrases and words. Simply put, it means to yield to his control and follow his lead as he exerts influence in leading our lives. Practically, it means to be in prayer, be in God's word, and come to church, be in communion with fellow believers whom you can seek wise counsel in when you don't know what to do or where to go next. And as odd as it may seem to say, a lot of Christians don't even know much about the Holy Spirit. They know about as much about the Holy Spirit as unbelievers do. We tend to think about the Holy Spirit as like Casper the Friendly Ghost or like the Force in Star Wars. And that's not who the Holy Spirit is at all. If we, were walk, if we are to walk in the Spirit, we ought to know who he is. And praise be to God, the scriptures tell us exactly who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a divine person who is equal with the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of truth, the helper who proceeds from the Father in John 15, verse 26. He is the seal and down payment of the believer's inheritance of eternal life in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. If you're ever struggling with your salvation, thinking, am I actually saved? Do I, can I lose it? No, 
You can't lose it. The Holy Spirit is the seal and literal down payment of your inheritance when you either go home or Christ comes back, whichever comes first. What a beautiful testimony. He assists believers in prayer according to Jude 1 verse 20. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, he bears witness with the believer's spirit that we are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Again, Holy Spirit reminding us, even in our hardest times, you are a child of God when you are saved. Also in Romans 8, 26 through 27, he helps us in our weakness, interceding to the Father for us in prayer with groaning too deep for words and intercedes for us according to the will of God. When we have no idea what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. Galatians 5, 16 through 23, he leads us into righteousness and produces his fruits in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's not you. That's the Holy Spirit. Because if it were you, impatient, angry, lack of self-control, wanting the things that your flesh wants. He raised Jesus from the dead and gives life to the mortal bodies of believers when he comes to dwell in them, washing, regenerating, and renewing us in Romans 8.11 and Titus 3.5. Just think about that for a moment. If you are saved, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's how you are able to do good works for Christ's kingdom because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. So like I said, the Holy Spirit is not Casper the Friendly Ghost. He's not like the force in Star Wars, this impersonal force that just is there. He is a person, and he is God. And he should be worshipped as such because he is the third person of the Trinitarian God that we worship. So as for Simeon and Anna, they provide excellent examples of what it looks like to engage a season of waiting, for they show us that waiting with faith enables us to receive God's promise. As we draw our, our time to a close today, I want to give you the words from the author of Hebrews as a call to respond to God's word. In Hebrews chapter 6, 11 through 12, he says, And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I don't know what you're waiting for today, nor what you're praying for today. I have a funny feeling that if I had heard a fraction of the cries that God hears, I would just be crushed. Absolutely crushed. But it's not too much for God. That is the big God that we serve, that wants us to take our prayers to him, but to also trust in him and to also wait in him. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior today, wait with devotion, wait for God's timing, and wait in God's spirit. And if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ yet, I want to encourage you and invite you, repent from your sin-filled life, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and begin life as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Waiting and enduring means suffering will follow the life of a Christian. 
I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes from a past preacher that when I've had rocky times or the low points in my life, it's always helped realign my expectation of how I should respond in those seasons. And that quote is this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. Lean into God, the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. We're called to wait, called to endure, called to persevere, because those who persevere to the end will be saved. May we imitate the faith and patience of Simeon and Anna as we trust in Christ Jesus and await his return and the fulfillment of God's promises. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and gets you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.